0: Hi, and welcome to Stressed, the podcast to develop your stress resilience. Being ambitious and successful while living a happy life is possible. Learn how you can better cope with stress in day-to-day situations by applying tools and techniques that work for you. My name is Julia Arndt, and I'm extremely grateful that you decided to check out my podcast today. Let's get started. Hi, Ryan, I'm super excited to have you on my podcast today. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, thanks. How are you, Julia?
0: I'm really well. Thank you so much. It's been a busy morning, but um, it's been a really good one. Good. Um, So before we jump into learning a little bit more about yourself, I always start with the question, what have you been up to today? Where are you located? Because I have a very international clientele, so I'm talking with people from all over the world. Um, so where are you located? Um, what time zone are you in and what have you been up to?
1: Um, so I'm in the U.S. and on the East Coast, so Eastern time zone. Uh, we are in a small town in the northwestern corner of Virginia called Winchester. Um, most people will be able to better uh, visualize where we are if I just say we're an hour and a half west of Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. So uh, it is 1.30 and uh like you today's been a busy morning um it's been a really good day i think days like today are some of my most fun days because uh i'm involved in a lot of different projects and today's been a day where i get to kind of touch in with all of them and um something that we may touch on later is is my concept of move the chains and days like today i'm able to move the chains on every single project and um you know for for somebody like me who's, uh, kind of, like I said, involved in so many projects, but uh, it it just, it helps me to stay focused and and feel like I'm not being overwhelmed, uh, if I know that they're all moving forward. So, um, what that actually looks like, uh, I had a a group call this morning with, uh, a project that I'm associated with as part of the advisory team. Um, so it's a coaching program that we're calling, um, Project Overwatch and uh, we've got some former Navy SEALs, we've got functional medicine doctors, um, we've got mental health coaches and I'm the performance advisor. So uh, as a high ticket coaching option, we are working with doctors, lawyers, uh, founders, executives to provide uh, the full uh, coaching platform. So so no stone is untouched. untouched or unturned in that wellness approach. Um, so that's a fun project to be involved with. Um, and then I had another uh, call with a business advising client who uh, is a guy that lives in Virginia Beach and is getting ready to get out of the military and has a really cool uh, project that he's working on. Um, I can't tell you any more about that. I wish I could. But um, if you've read the book, there's something in the book that might hint at it. Um And then I got to play connector, which is one of my favorite things to do. Um, Two of my friends are uh, doctors in New York City. I got to connect them with some projects that uh, might bring them some more business. Um, I told you I was supposed to be a guest on a podcast before this, and it was rescheduled. Um, That host was traveling and and without good internet. Um, So that gave me an opportunity to record three new, uh, short episodes for, for my podcast, better human project. Um, working on a new book proposal. We got some feedback from our book agent. Um, so going through some, uh, revisions on the next book project. So like I said, a lot of projects and, and to be able to kind of touch in and, and move, make progress, uh, on each of those has been fun today. Wow.
0: And that sounds also stressful at the same time, a little bit. Is, do you do you perceive it as
2: stressful, or
1: I th- I think if if I'm not checking in regularly and I'm not able to maintain what I would call that objective view, uh, it it can get stressful. Um, but one of the things that I always try to do is, uh, you know, like I said, it's it's the objective view uh, or or another way of looking at that as like the the, the thirty thousand foot view, you know, if you're in an airplane and you look down the the geography, the the world that you live in looks very different than when you're actually down in it. And so, you know, with all of our projects, if we can get out of the day to day, if we can get out of the weeds and have that kind of witness perspective, um, I think it's very helpful to be able to see, you know, what has been done, what needs to be done, how do we move the chains and I've and I've already said this a couple of times. So when we talk about the book, make sure uh, we'll talk I make sure I explain what that means. But um, uh, no, it can be stressful. But I think you know part of what I do and part of the way my brain works. Um, you know, I look for these patterns, I, I analyze these things, and, and it's one of the things that kind of makes my teaching and, and my methods uh, so helpful. I think for other people who that approach may not be as intuitive or, or come as naturally. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think one of the other things that I'm hearing as well is, is that you're wearing a lot of different hats, like every hour you're doing something very different, right? Like you're a coach and you're working with clients and then you um, record a podcast, you're connecting people, like all these different things. Is that, do you find that helpful for you to kind of wear all these different hats in like in a one hour, like one hour this, one hour that? Um, or how do you structure your day around that?
1: Yeah, today is definitely not uh, indicative of my typical day. Um, today's kind of a, it's a Friday. Um, next week I have travel, I'm speaking. Uh, so, so today is much like what we talked about before we hit record. You know, you're getting ready to go out of town. So you, you kind of, you have to make sure that all the projects are kind of like, the, the T's are, do- are crossed, the I's are dotted, and everything's okay for you to kind of take your hands off of it for a little while. Um, so, Uh, Like I said, I'm speaking next week. So Monday and Tuesday of this week, I had my calendar completely blocked off. I had no phone calls. I didn't bounce back and forth between projects. I was completely uh, and singularly focused on the outline and then the slides for the presentation. Uh, So it's a two day seminar uh, at a police department. Uh, Outside of DC and uh, I'm doing the first day and it's all about high performance And then there's uh, I have a co-host who on the next day is going to do eight hours of performance nutrition uh, for uh, military law enforcement type people so um, You know when I get to when I have projects that require that level of focus uh, I try to block days off like that Um, so that was Monday and Tuesday and then Wednesday of this week I did nothing but coaching calls. Uh, So like six hours of of coaching calls Um, and I'm not worried about anything else. Um, And so then that's why I say like on a day like today, so it's Friday of the week. Now I kind of get to step back. I'm not in the weeds on each of those projects and I can kind of take that high level view like the CEO type view instead of, uh, you know, the... The specialist right Uh, and I can kind of touch all of those things and make sure that they're going the way they need to go Uh, and then that gives me a a chance to set the action items for next week or you know going forward Um, so hopefully that answers your question
0: yeah for sure and I think it's actually a really really good way to do that I actually do that too that I have like days where I'm recording podcasts Mm -hmm. for example that I completely unblock uh, completely block um, so mm-hmm. i have time for that and then i'm even trying to be disconnected even from my phone to not get distracted with emails and things that people want from me because yeah. i need to be super focused when i'm podcasting and yeah i think it's just so much more helpful to s- stay really focused and then you know give that uh, give that project all of your energy and attention and then move on to the next one um and i think especially when you're looking at corporations and companies i think there's this balancing act between how do how much do I take my own time, and then how much, or like my own time to work on the projects that I really need to focus on, and how much do I answer to other people? Right?
1: Yeah, and so there's actually there's two things in the way I just talked about my week that that make it very efficient and effective. And one is what you alluded to batching. Um, you know, you, you have a day where you do all your podcasts, and then you don't deal with podcasting on any of your other days. Um, you know, If somebody's not a podcaster, what does batching look like? I mean, you, you could do email, you could do phone calls, do them in, in batches. So you say, okay, um, you know, I used to own a gym and, and I would actually batch all of our outreach calls, uh, like maybe 9 to 10 a.m. Um, you know, I'm not going to call somebody before 9 a.m. So maybe 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. is batching all of our emails. So all the incoming emails from the day before, we would respond to, you know, between eight and nine and then phone calls between nine and 10. Um, and that way we're not bouncing back and forth. And that leads into the second point, which is, uh, and you may be familiar with this research, um, but there's research from Stanford University where uh, they found that there's no such thing as multitasking, that it's actually just task switching. Um, and the, the conclusion from that study uh, always makes me laugh because the researchers said, Uh, people who like multitasking are suckers for irrelevancy. Um, And they also said that every time we we, uh, switch a task or bounce from one thing to another, um, or even if we get a distraction like a notification. So let's say instead of doing a podcast with you right now, let's say I am uh, writing and I get a notification on my phone and I look at that phone, even if I don't respond, I've now taken my attention away. And they say it takes anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes to return to that same depth of focus uh, and that same level of performance. So, um, you know, one of the tips that I always talk about in our workshops, uh, when we talk about time management and and productivity, those two things, but also, you know, reducing distractions. So, you know, turning off all of your notifications. If you don't have to be on the internet to do your writing, then, you know, turn Wi-Fi off on your computer. Um, You know all your notifications should be off and maybe this is something you could probably speak to this more than I can with your experience at Google but uh, like notifications on smartphones and things like that.
0: I talk about it all the time. Yeah, I actually there are so many different studies out there about multitasking and monotasking, and I'm always saying, well, monotasking is coming back <laughs> as a trend, you know, because I think there was a, where, there was a time where we were all like, multitasking is so cool, and if you can multitask, you're like super good, you know, Um and I actually read some studies about that it takes up to 23 minutes to really get back oh, wow. into focus and depth, Um, so, you know, how, how these studies go, there's always a range, I guess, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's extremely important and I think it's something that we haven't learned in a corporate context I, It's surely something I had I hadn't learned and I think especially as a younger person coming into the corporate world and Trying to be everywhere and trying to do everything um, You know, we don't really learn that and we sometimes have to learn it the hard way um, To to realize that it's
2: not good for us, you know um, Yeah
1: Yeah, I mean I think it- So advice that I got years ago was, um, you know, that our strengths always come from what was once a deficit. And so, you know, when I see somebody who has a certain level of uh, development in any specific area, um, you know, I I often remind myself of that and say, you know, uh, you know, if you look at somebody who has become effective at time management, at some point there were, they were probably struggling to. Uh, Accomplish all the things that they needed to accomplish or if somebody's really good at cooking They probably really sucked at it at some point and they had to learn how to do that Um, And so I think there's a big lesson in there for all of us, you know uh, One of the other things that I talk a lot about in my workshops is is avoiding what we call toxic goals and and we're so quick to uh, compete copy or compare to other people, um, you know, and and we see where they are in their journey and and we try to compare ourselves to them. And and so just there's a reminder in there to, you know, when you see somebody who's good at something, not to compare yourself to where they are now, but to even realize that, you know, they probably once had a big deficit at that thing. So if you want to get good at it, ask them. Most people who have gotten good at something are very willing to share, uh, you know, what they learned and, and how they got there.
0: Yeah, that's a really good lesson. I like that. Okay, I want to take a step back. (laughs) I want um, um, to give you a little bit of time to introduce yourself and really tell our listeners who you are and what you've been up to. I think you're already touching on a lot of really cool things that you're working on right now. Um, But um, who was Ryan maybe five or ten years ago? Where where does your journey start and what has happened over the last couple of
1: years? All right, I'm going to go with uh, the ten years ago version because... Uh, my wife and I just celebrated our third wedding anniversary, but we've been together for 10 years. And I made the joke and I told her, I said, I don't know what you saw in me 10 years ago, or I don't know how the the version of me in 2009 landed somebody as awesome as you. Um, And and what I mean by that is when I look back, like I'm just amazed at at how much I've grown and and changed in the last 10 years. Um, So 10 years ago, 2009, Uh, I was one year out of college. Um, I went to Clemson University. I was an athlete my whole life until I got to college. I wasn't good enough to play there. Uh, I was really fortunate to uh, still be able to hang out with um, athletes, especially the track team. My best friend from high school was an athlete. Uh, He was a high jumper at Clemson. um, And I got to hang out with them. And that's really where I learned sports performance. That's where I learned how to sprint. That's where I learned how to... Train uh, to develop um, strength and power and, and athletic ability, and at the same time, on my own, I was diving into nutrition, and I really became fascinated by the way that we could manipulate inputs to get the outputs that we wanted. Um, I've always had an aptitude for math and science, so so when I say it that way, I'm saying it that way intentionally. Um, but basically. Um, uh, you know, you can change the way you eat, the way you treat me, the way you sleep, all these things we can, we can manipulate and change and we can feel better, look better, perform better. Um, and so, you know, I just became fascinated by that and that led me down the rabbit hole. I changed majors, uh, majored in food science and human nutrition. So I could be a registered dietitian if I did the internship after school. I didn't want to do that because I disagreed with everything that we were taught in those programs. Um, you know. You're nodding your head because you probably know my food pyramid and and all that stuff is backwards and terrible and um, funded by big food. And I didn't want to be a part of that. Um, So I I had an opportunity after school to go to New York and pursue fitness modeling in New York City. I did that for a year. um, And so when I left there, I couldn't get out of that fast enough because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So that was kind of where I was in 2009. Um, I met Donna, who is now my wife. Um, I was a personal trainer at a big box gym for a few years before I said, "Hey, I think I can do this better myself." I opened my own gym in 2012. It was a performance training facility called House of Strength. I uh, started writing for uh, some online and print magazines that you know people in the fitness world would recognize, um, and. Um, did that until about uh, 2015 to 2016 was when I sold that. Um, Donna, my wife, was in residency then. She finished in 2016, so she's now a, a doctor. Um, she's a DO, and we moved to Virginia Beach. I sold the gym, started podcasting. Uh, I got to, uh, I guess, I- I'm skipping. I'm trying to go fast through this. Um, but the, uh, during, during that time of, of owning the gym, And I got to work with a lot of adults, uh, a lot of athletes, and um, I became fascinated by why some people are able to succeed and others are not. Um, You know, hundreds and hundreds of people came through our doors and and I crossed paths with and and had the opportunity to work with. And um, every single one of them said, I want to accomplish X, Y, Z. And some are, and some aren't able to do that and it never it, it was never a matter of the program, the plan it was always something within the individual that determined whether or not they had success and and That started to fascinate me um, and then as I sold the gym and started to get into more podcasting and working with some other startups um, I, I got to interview neuroscientists and researchers and special forces operators and Olympic and professional athletes and And I started to see trends and that led me to uh, a few speaking opportunities. And one of those was at the biohacker summit in Sweden, which we talked about on the phone last week when we were talking about how the book came to be. Um, And so that talk actually led to somebody in the audience saying, you know, you need to do more with this and on the flight home, I outlined what became the book and, and the book is really that exploration of why some people are able to succeed and other people are not. Um, one of the working titles for the book was The Neuroscience of High Performance, but we decided that would scare a lot of people away. Um, I'm not sure the current title doesn't scare people away either. But
0: I think it's super interesting. I can <laughs> talk
1: with you about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, are we allowed to cuss on here? Um, oh, how about we just say it's, it's F your feelings?
2: Yes, exactly.
1: And uh, there's a little bit of a marketing hook in that, obviously. Um, It's got to stand out on the shelf. It has to make you stop when you're walking through Barnes & Noble or scrolling through Amazon. There's millions of books, right? So how does it stand out and grab your attention? Um, But to be able to take the science of of how we're wired and what's going on between our ears and then kind of marry that with what Olympic and and professional athletes and and Navy SEALs and, and all these other people who are by any definition, high performers, you know, what they're doing. Um, and, and so really now to be able to to write that and, and, and have these lessons that I can share with people um, so that, you know, whether you want to accomplish a goal in business or, or fitness or nutrition, um, it doesn't matter what the plan is, right? It, it, you know, as well as I do, Paleo Works, Keto Works, uh, you know, this program for Strength Works. Like the program will work if you work the program. And yeah. where most people fall off is, is you know, not making the decisions and not doing the things that we're supposed to do when we need to do them um, because of how we feel at that given moment. And so that's where the title came from.
0: Okay, so F your feelings. Um, I listened to your introduction yesterday on Audible. Okay. And um, it said, 95 percent of decisions are made because of feelings tell us more about that i was like wow even like you know you were saying that when you heard that statistics for the first time you were like this is so weird (laughs) like i thought there must be some logic behind you know decision making and we make another fun fact like between 30 to forty thousand decisions a day so you know there's okay so 95 percent of those um we do you know i guess people say because it's gut reaction or because it feels right but you say it's like feelings that make these
2: decisions Um, that's so fascinating
1: it it is and so your reaction is the same one that I had and and that's actually the statistic that was that was the thing that I built the talk around when I spoke in Sweden and and that was the talk like I said that became the book and so it's it's a fascinating statistic and in a fascinating look into human behavior. Um, It comes from a cognitive neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio. He had a a patient that he worked with, this guy's name was Elliot, and Elliot had a tumor in his prefrontal cortex. Uh, It's a portion of our brain, and the tumor was removed, and uh, after the surgery, this guy Elliot was, was healthy, he was okay, but he struggled to make basic decisions. He couldn't decide what to wear, he couldn't decide where to go for lunch, um, and so Damasio started to realize that this, the surgery that removed the tumor had done some damage to the prefrontal cortex. So what he began then to understand was that in the prefrontal cortex, we associate meaning to some of those micro decisions within the main decision. And so what I mean by that is, let's say you and I and all of our listeners are going to go out for dinner this evening, and you have to decide where we're going to go eat? Already, you're starting to think about, well, how many listeners do I have? How many of those listeners are actually going to come out to dinner tonight? Do any of them have special dietary concerns? You know, What's going to be the price? Uh, you know, are we looking for you know, an inexpensive meal, an expensive meal? How much time do we have? Are we walking there? Are we driving there? All of those little micro decisions that go into where are we going to go eat? And because this guy, Elliot, couldn't assign a value or meaning to those things, he just stayed stuck in that endless loop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's our feelings then that, that Damasio was able to deduce that sort of enable us to make those micro decisions which lead to other decisions. Um, so that's kind of the, the nerdy like, science stuff behind that statistic. Um, what this means in, in in the real world is, uh, again, neuroscience uh, defines feelings as a mental experience of a physiological state, mm-hmm. and so as a fitness and and health nerd that I am, I love hearing that because physiology is just like that's our our bodily state, and. With my background, I know how to change physiology. I know how to change our bodily state. So if I can change that, then I know I can change my feelings. Um, most people listening have probably seen the meme uh, that says, "You know, you're one workout away from a better mood." That's exactly what—that's like, the science behind the thing, right? Um, and so, you know, understanding this gives us what I call awareness and. If we can move through life, if we can operate with greater awareness on all count, uh, awareness affords us more and usually better choices. Um, And so if we can operate with greater awareness, then we can see these things. And when we have that moment of choice, we can step back. And then as we work through the book, as I go through the workshops, what I'm encouraging everyone to do is in that moment of choice to simply ask yourself, am I allowing my feelings to drive this decision? Or are my decisions, are my actions aligned with my values? And so if we go back to our, uh, you know, somebody who wants to lose weight, or somebody who wants to get stronger in the gym, um, or if we go back to an Olympian, for example, the Olympics happen every four years, you don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be in the next Olympic Games, Mm -hmm. right? That's a 10. Even though
0: I've heard people do that, <laughs> but right. then have like two or three years to maybe train for that or something like that. Right.
1: right. And, and so that's like the shortest possible run up to the Olympics, right? It's two or three years. That's still a long time. Most people who start a, a diet are lucky to make it six weeks. Mm-hmm. Like that's That's nowhere near two or three years. So for an Olympic athlete, most of them have trained... You know, Let's just say they compete at 20 years old. They started their sport at 6, 8, 10, who knows. So you have at least 10 years. And then if they want to do a second Olympic Games, there's another four years. There's so many micro decisions that have to be made in that four-year span. You know, Did you get all your training in? Did you get up every single morning and do your 5 a.m. workout like you were supposed to? Did you eat the way you were supposed to? Did you recover? Did you do all the little things Um, And so obviously, this is analogous to business, relationships, uh, writing a book, anything that we want to accomplish in life. And so that's, again, you know, this is where the title of the book comes from. I don't want anybody to have their life run by feelings, they are short-term, transient, fleeting ways of being. It'd be like sailing from England and hoping that you made it to New York City without any power or steering of your own device. You're just hoping that the winds take you where they will. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to get somewhere. But is it where you set out to go? Probably not. Mm-hmm.
0: So what is your recommendation then that you take your feelings less into consideration or if you listen to your feelings, but then you know, work on the, still on the big plan? Like how, how
2: does yeah. that into a strategy?
1: And so I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions, uh, you know, the, the title of the book would make you think that, you know, I'm somebody that says, ignore your feelings, but, but that's actually the complete opposite. Um, I, I would tell people to be more in tune with their feelings and to analyze them. And I mean, that's go back to awareness, right? Awareness is, you know, what, what is really happening here? What's going on? What's the, what's the fear or the anxiety behind Uh, you know, why I want to do this? Why am I running from the thing? Um, You know, why am I shy? Why am I afraid of this? Why am I not going for this? Um, You know, do I really, you know, if I really want the thing, why am I not getting up at 5am and going to the gym? Um, And so it's, it it goes back to what I said earlier, it's awareness. I I want people to operate with greater awareness. And I want people to choose uh, and, and to act based on values and goals. Another way of looking at this would be if I were to follow you around for the next six weeks, I would write down what I think your values are Mm -hmm. based on how you spend your time. Mm -hmm. And if I did that, and then I ask you, okay, Julia, write down your values as a person. Do you think your values that you wrote down would match the values that I am inferring from watching your actions mm-hmm. i would hope that they would but for most people they don't because we're acting based on feelings
0: mm-hmm. so so and then so i think that's super fascinating so basically i'm getting a feeling and then do you think um the problem is that we're getting wound up in those feelings and we're kind of letting our feelings you know make, so i'm going to give an example because i talk a lot, a lot about this as well especially when you're talking about change management and habit building right like we have these habits and from a neuroscientific standpoint no matter what we do it's it's the right way if we have done it for a really long time right because our brain doesn't know the difference between good and bad it just knows what we've always been doing
1: it's the patterned way but just because it's patterned doesn't make it right
0: Exactly. Because the brain doesn't know the difference between right, right or wrong. It just right. knows, Oh, this, ha- this is something you've been doing for five years. This is the way you've been thinking for five years. This yeah. is kind of the safe space.
1: Exactly. Right? And safe, safe is the key word there. So mm-hmm. um, habits are, are just they're patterns, right? And um, I always tell people um, muscle memory is like nails on the chalkboard for me. Uh, muscles do not have the capacity for memory. Mm-hmm. So what, what we're really saying there is neurological wiring, mm-hmm. right? Our body remembers how to ride a bicycle. It's not muscle memory. It's neurological wiring, right? We know what muscles to fire and in what sequence and how to do that. Um, same thing with habit and like what you're saying with habit change, the old way is it's ingrained. It's sort of like an interstate highway, and that's the nerves will always take the path of least resistance, especially if we don't have an awareness and a conscious awareness to say, no, don't go that way, go this way. It'd be like if I told you to drive to work in a different route tomorrow. If you weren't consciously thinking about it, you would just get in your car, you'd take the same route you always take. Yeah. But now if I say you have to go a different way... You're going to have a greater conscious awareness of the steps that you're taking to get to work. Um, and so new habits are sort of like that dirt road or that new route. Until we get the same number of reps that way, it will, it will always feel a little bit awkward. And so uh, I come from a sports background. We've already kind of uh, touched on that. But I always use the analogy of learning a new golf swing or uh, I always ask people what sport they play, and I try to relate it back to that sport. But if you play tennis or if you play basketball and we needed to change your free throw, or if you play baseball and we changed your swing, the new swing or the new pattern is going to feel very awkward at first because how many reps do you have doing it the old way? Thousands. And until we have that many or more in the new pattern, the new way is going to feel awkward. We're going to feel safer, more comfortable going back to the old way. Um, so I have something that 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 I always talk about in the workshops and, and this is actually gonna be in the new book. It's it's called The Nowhere Between Two Somewheres. And it's about that exact moment where, if we use the analogy of, uh, or the example of like a trapeze artist, and you swing, you commit to doing this thing, you swing on the trapeze and you let go and you haven't quite grabbed the new one. so. The trapeze is the old habit, the new habit. And when you're in midair, it's the nowhere between two somewheres. And it's also the moment where we're most likely to freak out, to flit, to, to flail. And that's the exact worst thing that we can do. Because if you think about that trapeze artist, the more they freak out in midair, the less likely they are to successfully land where they wanted to. And so that's the trick for all of us with habit change is to not do that, to, to stay committed and and to trust that we've made the right choice, that we have, have the right plan to go through those awkward new reps until the new way becomes the way.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that totally makes sense to me. And I talk a lot about that actually too. Now my, my question is, and I'm sure a lot of people will wonder that now is, okay, so we're talking about feelings and we're talking about changes and habit building, right. And from a logical theoretical standpoint it all makes sense what you're telling me right now ryan it tells me makes all make sense but i'm waking up in the morning i set my goal to like wake up at five to go to the gym and i have this feeling (laughs) that tells me oh my god like really like you know it's a new neurological pathway that we're trying to build um and i really feel not great about that right now like maybe i'm tired i'm feeling tired i'm feeling frustrated like there's all these kind of feelings are coming up what do i do
1: all right so if if you were a client and and you came to me and you said that there's a lot of different things that we would dive into mm-hmm. um probably the last thing i would say but we'll start with this because i think it's the easiest and, and most obvious is the title of the book, right? Um, do what you're supposed to do or do what you said you're going to do um, when you're supposed to do it, regardless of how you feel. Now, that's assuming that the plan is the right plan. So, in order to make sure that it is, I would have a series of questions to ask you uh, regarding this 5 a.m. wake up. And so, some of those questions might be, you know, why have we chosen this as the thing to do if it's something that you don't really want to do?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, maybe you think that you have to do it. Maybe you maybe you hate lifting weights, uh, or maybe you hate running, but you've said, "I think I've heard that that's <laughs> the best thing to do." So I'm going to wake up at five a.m. in the morning and I'm going to do something that I hate doing. Well, I would say, why are you doing something you hate doing?
2: Mm-hmm
1: the only reason that we should do something we hate doing is we absolutely have to, to get the result that we really want. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then we tie it to the result that we really want. Mm -hmm. Right. So we look at the real motivating factor. Like I know there's a lot of parents who would do anything for their kids, Mm -hmm. um, including getting up at 5am and driving them to swim practice or soccer practice. Right. Mm -hmm. But you're not doing it because you want to go to soccer practice. You're doing it because you love your kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when we can tie this back to like the real why, uh, the real purpose, um, you know, it, it makes it a little bit easier to make the hard choice. Um, so again, you know, if we bring it back to this, this hypothetical, uh, I don't wanna wake up at 5 a.m. and do the thing. Um, is, there, is there something we'd rather do? Is there something that it would be a better use of our time? Um, can we put that workout at a time in your day where you would be more likely to do it? Um, you know, maybe sleep is more important than the workout, you know, are you going to bed early enough? So, you know, we we can't really look at things in a vacuum or in isolation because life and and humans just don't work that way. So I would look at all the other things that sort of make that scenario, the scenario. Um, and again, it's, it's that zoomed out that 30,000 foot objective view. Um, and then, like I said, if, if we come back to it, through all that series of questioning and that is what you're supposed to be doing. And that is, you know, the best thing for your goals and you still don't want to do it. Then we got to figure out what the real why is. And, you know, if, if it was your kid and their happiness depended upon it, you wouldn't have an issue doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's, it's finding out, you know, what's really going on.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And then uh, would you say it's just important that, you know, maybe for the first two weeks, three weeks, we F our feelings um, to kind of get into a new pattern if we if we are tying to this bigger goal and we really know we want to do this, to just kind of, you know, so, sometimes we have to maybe force ourselves a little bit in the beginning to for new habits to create?
1: I'd, yes and no. Um, again, like I'd go back to some of those questions I was just asking. I mean, I think, and in my experience, the people I've worked with. And for me personally, if there's something we really want, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we don't have a problem making the behavior change. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for for people who really, really struggle with the behavior change, I think either they don't want it as much as they say they do, Mm -hmm. or it's one of those toxic goals that they're, Mm-hmm. They've, they've made it a goal because they think they're supposed to or they're copying competing comparing to somebody else mm-hmm. It's not something that is just burning deep down inside of you mm-hmm. um, You know, we're doing it for some other reason and mm-hmm. and if that's the case I think we're always gonna fight, you know Not wanting to do it because the truth is we really don't we don't want to do it and we really don't want that result yeah. uh, And I I know that's probably not the answer you were looking for but
0: no, I, I think it's good that you say that i you know i'm 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 working a lot with clients as well that have goals, and sometimes I have clients that you know have an easy time to work towards their goals and then I'm have some clients that I talk to every week and they yeah they're not making any progress um so example not from a specific client but something that I have in mind at the moment is I want to lose fifteen pounds yeah um and they just. Like, you know, there are so many, I and mean, I'm sure so many people have have these kind of thoughts, right? I want to lose 15 pounds because X, Y, Z, I know it's better for my health. I want to be healthy for my kids. Um, I know in the long term, you know, I, I might get older when I'm, you know, losing 15 pounds, all these different things. But I still don't get my butt <laughs> out <of> the, <laughs> yeah. from the couch, you know? Yeah.
1: So, so there's two things that, that I would do with this. Person in the uh, example here. Um, the first one is if somebody came to me with that goal. Um, no matter what somebody's goal is, we always go through this process in our initial consultation. Um, and the new book that I alluded to earlier is is a uh, project with my mentor Paul Reddick, and he's going to be a co-author on this new book. And, and this is something that he taught us years ago, and it's called Five Six Seven. And um, It's the process of getting from those superficial goals, the goals of our head, it's usually layers one, two, three, and four into uh, the issues of our heart. And that's usually the five, six, and the seven. And so what this really looks like is if this person comes in and they say, Ryan, um, I want to join your gym and I want to lose 15 pounds. Cool. What's so great about that? Well, Well, what do you mean? Well, if you're 15 pounds less, how is your life any different? Oh well uh, I'd be healthier okay great what's so good about that well I might live longer okay cool what's so great about that Mm -hmm. Uh, well I'd like to watch my I'd like to walk my kids down the aisle when they get married now we're getting somewhere right so remember earlier I said let's get to the real why so now so we talk about uh, you know with this person we go so that was only like level four or five we can go too deeper Mm -hmm. but For the sake of brevity and and for the podcast, I've got, as a coach, I've got my hooks in this person now. It's not about the weight, Mm -hmm. right? It's about being there for their kids, uh, you know, being able to get into the floor and roll around with them pain-free, being able to, you know, be healthy enough to live long enough to walk them down the aisle. So if this person's dogging it in the workout and I come up to them and say, you know, Hey, Scott, don't you want to lose 15 pounds? Yeah. Yeah. Okay,
2: what I do yeah. Right.
1: but if I said, Hey, Scott, don't you want to be able to go home tonight and roll around with your kids in the floor without pain? Or don't you want to make sure that you can walk your daughter down the aisle? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get a drastically different response.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And I'm not, I'm not, it's not, it's not fake motivation. Like that's real alignment, right? That's what we're talking about earlier with alignment with values. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things transcend our feelings. And so, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to become state independent where we can be that version of us regardless of of how we feel. Um, So that was the first thing. The second thing I would do is uh, when we coach goals, uh, most people have heard of SMART goals and, you know, that uh, the goal that that this hypothetical person has of, okay, I want to lose 15 pounds in the next 90 days. That would be a SMART goal. And if we follow SMART goals, that's so SMART is an acronym. Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-driven. That goal that they just brought to us fits the SMART uh, phrasing. Mm -hmm. But I don't like SMART goals that way because it's focused on the outcome. It's focused on losing 15 pounds, which is not entirely in our control. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is they could do everything right. And if they get on the scale on day 90 and they've lost 14 pounds, well, technically they've failed. Mm -hmm. And so, this is when we see, especially in weight loss, we start to see people do short term things that are not sustainable in order to fudge the result or just get the result, right? Crash dieting, go into a sauna, sweat out a bunch of water, you know, all the things that we all know we could do to change the scale very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, But we haven't become a person who does the things necessary to weigh 15 pounds less, to roll around in the floor with our grandkids, to, you know, live to be 80, 90, 100 years old. Those are the things that you're after, the real behavior change. Um, And so those are the things that would need to become the goal. So, you know, we talk about, it's, 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 I'm sure you've heard being process oriented, right? And so, you know, the way I phrase this is focus on actions, not outcomes. So rather than the outcome, 15 pounds being the goal, we would just turn down and around and say, okay, what are the actions that you have to do in order to be an Olympian or lose 15 pounds in the next 90 days? Well, I need to follow my meal plan. I need to exercise four days a week. I need to sleep eight hours a night. I need to drink hundred ounces of water a day. Okay, cool. Those are the things, right? So now the goal becomes for the next 90 days, I'm going to work out four days a week. I'm going to- Basically you know,
0: breaking it down. Yeah. yeah.
1: And then it, it's still binary. It's still black or white. Did you or did you not do the things?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And on day 90, if you get on the scale and you've lost 14 pounds.
0: That's an amazing you're achievement. You're
1: not right. You're not a failure because you didn't get 15. But more importantly, you became a person who focuses on the things required to get there. And now that's that's sustainable. It's scalable. You're now a person who values these things that make you a healthy person. And, and the sky's the limit from there. So... Uh, Those would be the two things I would focus on uh, In those scenarios.
0: I'm glad that we went into this question. I think this is really really powerful. So You are working with high-performance athletes and Olympians and um, all these really fascinating people Do you see a very different mindset in these people or what what is their um Secret sauce, or you know, do they have something different than normal human beings? Like, what what would you answer?
2: How would you answer
1: that? You know, that's it's tricky because the answer is yes, but I, I really want to be able to say no because, and the reason I say that is I don't want they're not different because they're Olympians. They're not different because they're CEOs or or special forces people. They're special forces people or Olympians because of their mindset, mm-hmm. uh, and what it really is is a no excuses uh, mindset. Um, we get excuse, we, we get results or excuses, but not both, mm-hmm. right? And so these high performers, no matter what their pursuit is, they're people who say, "I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get there,"
2: mm-hmm.
1: and. Again, let's just bring this back to, you know, somebody whose goal is I want to be the best father I can be. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that any parent could relate to. Or if you're in a relationship, I'm committed to being the best spouse or supporter that I can be. Mm -hmm. And whatever that means, you're now committed to doing that. Mm -hmm. And. I use those as examples because I think that's a lot more tangible. It's, it's it's a lot more approachable than like. Look, I'm never going to be an Olympian. I don't I don't aspire to do that. I don't want to. I'm not going to. Um, but I do have the same mindset that they have about being the best at what it is that I do, or or any pursuit that I might have. Nothing is going to stop me. The only thing that can stop me is me. And I think that's a really, really powerful observation or, or realization for all of us. If we are the problem, then we are also the solution.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And a lot of people don't want to hear that because it puts the responsibility right. exactly. squarely on our shoulders. Yeah. But again, if you're the type of person who's going to be a high performer, you're comfortable with that because you know, again, you are the solution. So you have control of that. So
0: that's the power. Exactly. You're getting the power back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so taking that power back and, and taking responsibility, um, I think that's the thing that separates those who achieve whatever it is that they want to achieve and those who don't. Um, so, yeah, there's something different there, but it's it's a lot more approachable and and uh, available to all of us than most people might think. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah so I love that and I want to kind of try to summarize that so it's all about mindset and I think the f- things that I'm taking away from this conversation is that we all have we are all our own problems I believe that too like we are all our own problems but we are all our own solution and we take the power and control back in that way and then one of the mistakes that I see as well very often is, is that we are making the wrong goals or that we're setting inachievable goals or that we are not tying the goals to the right outcome or to the right motivation in order to get there is that
1: yeah i think maybe maybe just uh the first part i love i'm glad this is recorded because i'm going to go back and like i need to get that transcribed (laughs) um just on on the goals part i would just say maybe it's it's make sure we're focusing on the the right thing um and then once we are focused on the right thing it's being process oriented uh process focused outcome uh it's it's actions not outcomes focus yes. on actions and I outcomes. think
0: it's also being flexible within the goal. I love that you yeah. said that even if I don't achieve the fifteen pounds, if I have achieved the thirteen pounds, but I have created a new lifestyle around um you know my own mo uh, around my own patterns actually in my own habits, and that's a more powerful outcome than achieving those fifteen pounds
1: right i mean. i I don't care what i weigh um
0: that's another that's a complete it is is. (laughs) and and so maybe
1: that's not the best like okay i don't care how much i bench press exactly
2: yeah
1: i'm I'm a dude i should care right i don't i don't care (laughs) all i care about is you know how healthy am i you know am i going to feel right how do i feel how do i feel on a daily basis you know it's if if the trade-off of being able to bench 3.15 3.15 means I feel beat up and my work suffers and my ability to be there for my wife suffers. And, you know, I'm short with everybody in my life because my nervous system is always private. That's not worth it for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just focusing on the right things.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Great.
0: Okay. So before we forget it, you mentioned it a few times at the beginning of our conversation about the key chain. Uh, something.
1: Move the chains. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Let's talk
0: about that. an All right.
1: So uh, it's a football analogy and American football for our international audience. Um, <laughs> and so, if if you're not familiar with the game, you get four plays to move the ball ten yards. Uh, most teams will punt on fourth down if they have not gained those ten yards. So we're going to omit the fourth play, and we're going to say you have three plays to move the ball ten yards
0: and what does pound mean just for punt mean for the international listeners it's when you're putting Uh, the ball down you don't put it
1: down you you would hold it in your hand and you like almost like a goalie in soccer like you would like it's like a drop kick okay right um
0: this is this is how to show how well i know
1: (laughs) (laughs) and so so that gives the ball back to the other team and then it's their possession and their turn Uh Uh, and so if we get a first down we keep the ball and we keep moving forward. and so if we divide those 10 plays or 10 yards over three plays, all we have to do is average 3.4 yards per play. And we get a first down every three plays.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if we're constantly getting a first down, we keep the ball. We never give it to them. And we're advancing it towards the end zone to score touchdowns. And then we, if, if we do this properly, then hypothetically we score a touchdown on every single possession Mm -hmm. the team who scores the most points wins and if we score every single time we have the ball Mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to beat us Mm -hmm. and so that's the analogy is you know not to go for the highlight play the the hail mary um, it's just line up little chunks step by step just keep moving forward be relentless be unstoppable Um, you know a lot of people will look at know hey i want to write a book um and then they see the totality of the project and and they get almost paralyzed but if we break it down and say okay what has to happen let's let's say we have a year to do this thing we just reverse engineer it what has to happen in the next six months for this book to happen in a year what has to happen so we break six months down into three months what has to happen in and three months happens to be 90 days or a quarter what has to happen in the next quarter, the next 90 days? Okay, what has to happen this month to be on pace for that? What has to happen this week? What am I gonna get accomplished this week? And then we write that down and then we look at, okay, tomorrow, what am I gonna to do tomorrow to make progress for this week, to keep me on pace for the month? And, and if we do that every single day, right? And so we're, we're zooming in and out, right? We keep getting that, that airplane view and then we zoom in and say, okay, what do we have to do for today? we zoom in, we zoom out. Mm-hmm. And that analogy of moving the chains and just small progress relentlessly and consistency, consistently over time, that's been the biggest game changer for me over the last 10 years and, and for everybody that I've worked with to just be able to slow down, realize that we don't have to do it all at once um, and just, just keep moving forward. Just keep moving the chains.
0: Yeah. I'm smiling here the whole time while you're explaining that because I literally just recorded a YouTube video um, on my seventh month as an entrepreneur. And I'm talking about project management and about how I'm planning to write a book and about how I literally went on Google and searched how many words do you need to write? (laughs) To have a book, because I did exactly that. And I think it's so, so powerful. And it was like, if you want to write a 400-page book, I don't know the exact numbers right now anymore, but it's like between 18,000 and 100,000 words. So I'm like, oh, okay. So if I want to write a 300-page book, I just divide that. And I know that I want to write the book in three months, as you know, um, then I have to write, for example, five pages per day. And then, you know, and now I'm like, okay, five pages per day for three months, I can totally do that, you know, and like having that small, that small of a of a goal and just trying to chip, trying to chip, chip away at that for today mm-hmm. is so much more feasible than waking up every morning and saying, oh, should I have to write a book? Or I really want to write a book, right? Let's right. put it that way. I really want to write a book, um, but I don't know where to start and I don't right. know how I will ever do that. And I think... If you, like you said, and I 100% agree on on that with you, if you want to do something, there's always a way to get there. If you break it down in small achievable pieces and you stay true to your goal and you just keep on doing what you need to be doing.
1: Yep, exactly. And so for you, moving the chains is write an hour a day or five pages a day, whatever metric it is that you want to use. Um, Yeah. Yeah, great.
0: Um, I always have a few questions at the end of the podcast, and the first one always is, "What are you most grateful for?"
1: All right, I'm supposed to be prepared for this one, but I'm not <laughs> um, because it also
0: changes me, every day, right? It,
1: it does, and and to me, most is like a singular thing, and I, I think if I were to choose a singular thing, then then it would be that would mean to omit or, or or prioritize that over everything else, and and I. I'm struggling to come up with something for that. Um I, I do a gratitude journal every morning. Uh I write down at least three things I'm grateful for every day. Um I I think of myself as being a very appreciative person. Um so I if I only have one, I would just I would just say this life, this opportunity. Um to be here, to be alive uh now, uh to get to do this, that would have to be the, the thing I'm most grateful for. Yeah.
0: When did you start with your Gratitude Journal?
1: I've done some variation of it for a few years now. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess maybe the way I've been doing it, I've been doing it for about two years now. So I do a little bit of reading uh, each morning. Um, I have a few different daily readers. Uh, and I'll just pick up whichever one strikes my fancy in the in the morning. Um, that's a choice made based on feelings, um, and, uh, but within parameters, I guess. Um, and, and so I'll read a passage or, or like the days thing. Um, I'll write down in my journal something that I either learned or, or realized or take away from that. Uh, and then I write down three things that I'm grateful for that day.
0: I love that you say that because I'm trying to get my listeners to do that as well. Awesome. (laughs) Because I'm doing it as well and it has really changed my life in a positive way. Um, And I also really challenge myself on writing down three things every morning that are very different to the day before. I'm trying to always find other small things. Um, you know, yesterday, as I told you, we had an electricity outage and this morning I'm like, electricity, we are (laughs) never aware of how much we need it, but if we don't have it (laughs) in today's world, we are pretty much in like not able to do anything anymore. Right.
1: Yeah. I love that approach. I always try to find things that we would overlook, uh, Mm -hmm. or, or take for granted is another way of phrasing that. Um, uh, so for my, this week, my wife's car is, uh, it's it's kind of hitting it's the end of its lifespan and, and okay. we're getting a new vehicle for her. And, and so, you know, one of the things I wrote down this week was, was our vehicles. And I've never written that down as something I'm grateful for because yeah. I just take them for granted. And yeah. so, yeah.
2: Yeah,
0: great. Do you have three um, main kind of guidelines that you live your life by or three wisdoms that you've heard that you really kind of always follow you through your day and through your life?
1: Yeah, so... I'd like to make the first one, move the chains, that we've already explained. I I just think that's supremely powerful. Um, The best advice I've ever been given was from uh, the guy I mentioned earlier, Paul Reddick. Your life is perfectly designed for the results that you are currently getting. Your life is perfectly designed for the results that you are currently getting. Uh, To me, that's just extremely powerful. Um, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. You know we are the problem, we're also the solution. Um, and and do you wanna... think
0: we're sometimes not ready for the bigger things then like you know i mm-hmm. especially when you're looking at an entrepreneur or somebody that wants to achieve this like big goal um, you know i and i you know I always think about that a lot at the moment, especially because I'm like oh, I wish I would have maybe 10 more customers or I wish I would have um, already my bit, my book written, but then mm-hmm. I'm always kind of taking myself back and I remind myself that I'm probably exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. And that yeah. this is all I can handle right now. And if I would have too much, even even more, then um, I might not be even ready for that in that moment. So my So the life gives me exactly what I'm ready for in that moment. Does it make sense?
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, I guess to me, at least my my interpretation or understanding of like the life gives us what we're prepared for, or what we can handle. That's that's saying that the power lies outside of us. Uh, that I hope I get what I want, uh, rather than just saying that's what I want. I'm going to go get it. So like, just put it right on my back and just like, I want the responsibility. Um So I don't know, maybe a nuanced or, or semantics type of difference there, but
2: yeah, uh,
0: I, I think there's a balance. I think there's a balance between like giving everything that you can, but also being, you know, I think sometimes
2: right. like,
0: we are very ambitious people in, in, the, in a lot of different ways. And I yeah. think maybe we're sometimes too over ambitious. And I think that balance is, is that, we get exactly what we need in that moment and we should also be okay with that. Um, yeah,
1: and I think, I mean, to your point there, it's it's understanding that there are some things we can control and some things we can't, right? And, and you know, knowing the difference, right? Um, it's the the famous prayer in the Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, mm-hmm. The, what is it? The, the courage to change the things I can, the mm-hmm. serenity to accept what I can't and the knowledge or the wisdom to know the difference between the two. You
0: know? Yeah. I I love that quote. Okay, sorry, I interrupted you. So those were two. Uh,
1: So one more. And let's see. So this one is is from a a good friend of mine, Todd White. And uh, appreciate, don't expect. Mm. So appreciation, not expectation. Uh, That's been a big one for me. And I'll tell you what, that's actually been the single most helpful thing for me for public speaking. Mm. Um, Because if I... Uh, I I used to get nervous about speaking publicly, and I think everybody does, but now um, a lot of times I realize that any nervousness is because I'm expecting or or tied up in, again, an outcome as opposed to just being grateful for the opportunity uh, and focusing on the actions that I can control that would make that a successful uh, endeavor.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Um, Do you have a book that you're? I'm sure you're reading a lot, and I know as well. Like I, you know, we talked about this before. I'm a very, um, I'm very passionate about sports and about performance. Um, Do you have any favorite books in that realm? Not not even performance related, but um, anything that that has really maybe changed your life.
1: Hands down, my favorite book is Dao De Jing, and uh, specifically the Stephen Mitchell translation. Um, it, it was written by Lao Tzu, uh, I don't know, thousands of years ago. So um, hands down, that's my favorite book. Uh, I'm reading one right now that I really love. Uh, it's by Stephen Pressfield. I love everything that he's ever written. Um, but his latest one is called The Artist's Journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great, great book.
2: Okay.
0: Do you know Mas? I'm sure you've read Mastery from Robert Greene.
1: Yes. I
0: yeah. like that
2: book?
1: I do. Uh, I, I, I do. Um, I like Robert Greene. Um his books are just they're they're so long they're uh and they're so <laughs> I think Mastery is the only one I've finished. I have 48 Laws of Power, I have uh the Laws of Human Nature, um and I think I've got one other one. And and I'll just I'll, I'll open them occasionally and, and yeah. read a few passages, but um I cover, think that's cover, kind of
0: this with that book as well. Even with Mastery, I feel like I'm reading it and there's like one or two Like, I'm reading like three sentences or like one paragraph, and there's so much richness in there that I'm like, I could just sit on these three sentences right now because there's so much information in there, you know?
1: And that's a huge and powerful practice right there is, you know, reading to get those moments of insight and enlightenment, and then putting the book down and going and either meditating on that or doing something with it uh, rather than just reading cover to cover to say you read it and putting it on a bookshelf.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure.
0: Cool. Um, my next question is what's next for you. So you're writing in the next book, which is super exciting.
1: Yeah. So, so that's a a fun project that I'm working on with Paul, um, to, to be able to do something like that with somebody who has had such an impact on my life and and so many other people's lives, uh, -hmm. is a really fun opportunity. Um, and like I said, we're, we're talking to book agents right now. Um, and in parallel writing the book, um, We've got another friend of mine, Rick Alexander, he and I are putting together a mental health talk that we're delivering to uh, military uh, bases and and personnel. Uh, That'll be a big part of what we do in 2020. Uh, We did one uh, a couple of months ago out in Denver at at an Air Force base that was a big hit. Uh, So we're going to try to do more of those. Rick is retired military, um, so he and I have kind of overlapping messages and, and just different ways of, of communicating the same thing. So um, to be able to bring some of what we do to a population that really uh, is in need of that message right now, uh, that's going to be a, a really rewarding experience. Um,
0: can, get, sorry, can I interrupt you on that? Yeah. What yeah. do you think is the most important message when it comes to mental health? <sighs> I,
1: I would like to think that we're beyond removing the stigma, um, but I don't think we are. I think, I think in our community, we are, but our community is the tip of the spear. Um, and so there's a statistic. Um, since 1999, there have been um, somewhere, it's somewhere around 5,300 military deaths for the US military since 1999. Mm -hmm. In that same time period, there have been 128,400 deaths by suicide. Mm -hmm. That is a 23 to one ratio. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clearly, there's a mental health crisis in that population. Um, And I mean, we know law enforcement and military are populations where it's probably still taboo, we, it is in most instances taboo I mean, those to. Are so
0: male heavy, right? I'm yeah. just thinking of that. Like yeah. people, like men, don't talk really about feelings and about. Well, feelings. and
1: even if even if you're a female, uh, if if you're a woman in a male-dominated profession, my wife is a doctor, right? So so we think of most doctors as as being. I mean, until fifty years ago, like I mean, even now you hear like uh, a, a man from. Previous generations, like an eighty year old man might have a problem with a woman doctor
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, you know so so I know what my wife faces in in that profession in terms of always feeling like she has to prove herself and and not being able to uh, there's just there's a certain openness and honesty and vulnerability that is built into our community that doesn't exist in uh, the lawyer profession, the doctor profession, military law enforcement. And so when I say removing the stigma, I, it's, it's around that. That's really what I mean is, is holding space for everybody else to be able to raise their hand and say like, I- I'm not okay. I- I'm not, you know, not ready to go kick in a door and, uh, you know, I can't pretend like this didn't happen or I can't ignore these things. Um, and I know that sounds like, I wish I had a better answer than oh, removing I the that. stigma, but I think that's where we have to start.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think so too. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so, <clears throat> sorry. Um, when um, people would like to get in touch with you or learn more about you, how can they do that? Uh,
1: the website is ryanmuncy.com. That's kind of the hub of all the operations. Um, Instagram is probably the most active social platform, uh, at Ryan Muncie with an underscore at the end of it. Uh, podcast is the Better Human Project. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: What do you talk about in the Better Human Project? About things a, like
2: this?
1: A, a lot of what we've been talking about, um, we, we get to interview a lot of these high performers uh, that, that we've kind of alluded to and mentioned. Um, so I'm trying to bring lessons from uh, people who. Are kind of chasing their own greatness and, and ways that we can be and do better um, as humans. Um, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, there are some short episodes as well that have like five to ten minute lessons and, and little, you know, uh, poignant takeaways. Um, so yeah,
0: right well i could i feel like i could talk with you for another hour at least <laughs> on the podcast and even more so offline um because i'm super inspired and super fascinated um by the work that you're doing i think it's so so important and like i said i'm super passionate about kind of the performance aspect um looking at athletes and looking how they're doing it i think we can learn a lot a lot a lot from that population and it's always been super fascinating for me and very inspiring for me so i'm Really glad that we met and thank you so much for your time
1: uh, thank you so much for having me on julia it's been a blast thank you
0: bye bye if you enjoyed this episode i would be extremely happy and grateful if you could leave me a comment and a five-star rating if you know someone who would benefit from the information i talked about today please feel free to share it with them no matter if it is your friends your colleagues and or your family members You will always find all links and a summary of the podcast in the show notes. It would be great if we could connect on Instagram or via email. You can find all details of how to find me in the show notes as well. In that way, you can also send me any questions that you might have. And as I mentioned, I also have a wonderful YouTube channel now where you can post comments and questions. So please reach out. I'm glad you're listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for your trust. With gratitude, Julia.